Matthew 1 is our text, and uh, I'm going to read just uh, a little bit of it and uh, in here in just a minute, but I want to pause and ask God's blessing as we pray, as we begin this uh, message, and then uh, let me encourage you to pray in your heart as I pray uh, out loud. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can... Um, uh, we, can, we have your word that we can look to, that we can, um, uh, we can learn from. Um, I pray that as we look at a text, a scripture that might be a little bit different than a normal uh, sermon text or something like that, I pray that uh, your spirit would use what is said for your glory and for your honor. And I pray that I would say well, only what you would have me to say. And Father, I pray that I'd be able to communicate in a way that's helpful and that's accurate to the text that we look at. So, Father, I pray that you would receive all glory and honor because uh, we, we simply cannot learn and we simply cannot grow apart from your Spirit's work in our lives. And so remove the distractions and help us focus in on you. And I pray that uh, this next few minutes would, would be helpful uh, to my own heart first and to everyone else. So uh, we're grateful for your love. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've probably, or I'm sure you have seen uh, all those, uh, the newest craze the last few years or so about those DNA testing kits like Ancestry, uh, DNA and things like that. You, you spit into a tube and uh, you send it off and uh, then you get on the grid for the rest of your life. Um, but uh, uh, then you find out, you know, kind of who, uh, where you're supposedly from and, and all that and, and you kind of get... Uh, um, um, all the, uh, the background and things like that. Uh, our missionary, Irfan, you, you, you know Irfan, he did this, and uh, he was shocked. He was shocked. It was like 99% from the Middle East. I mean, he was shocked by that. So, um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you do this, and people do that as a way to try to find out maybe what tribe they were part of or, or maybe a, a specific group of people that they have some connections to or things like that. And, and um, uh, you know, background and family heritage and things like that, that's important to us. Um, genealogies in, in biblical times were particularly important for establishing identity, for establishing uh, um, uh, uh, rights and, and claims to land and things like that. And so it was, it was very important for uh, people to know their genealogy. They, they would memorize this. Um, and this is what Matthew 1 is. Matthew 1 is one of two genealogies of Jesus Christ. And, and there's some differences between the two. One's in Luke, one's in Matthew. And um, there's some different emphasis and things like that. And, and we won't get into all the different emphasis about what those, those are today. But you, you get different flavors of Jesus' historical background um, when you read those genealogies. And so when we come to Matthew 1 we see that there's, some, uh, there's at least one unusual characteristic about that, and that's some of the people that he includes in this. So look at Matthew 1, verse 1. It says this, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashan, and Nashan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, 
and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Okay, so there is our main scripture text for our sermon today. All right, all right. So there will be a quiz on how to pronounce all these names, and uh, uh, you'll list them in order afterwards. Um, uh, not really. Why? Why are we choosing this? Well, is because as the only person in history that could choose his family tree. Jesus was fully aware of what he was getting into and what he wanted to accomplish when he entered this world. You see, none of us could choose which family we were to be born into. We didn't have that choice, okay? But Jesus did. We don't have the choice of who our bloodline is that leads before us. But Jesus had that choice because he's the creator of the world. And so by, by virtue of that fact, when we look at who he included in us, we know that it wasn't just happenstance. We know that this was something that was by design. It was by divine design that Jesus would have these people in his family tree. So two points this morning. Uh, first of all, Jesus knew who he wanted in his family tree. Then the second one we're going to get to is how he wanted to help those in his family tree. But first of all, Jesus knew who he wanted in his family tree. Now, when you look at this text, it starts with David and starts with Abraham, and that makes sense. It makes sense for him to establish that. You know, if he's going to be the Messiah, he's got to be connected to David. If he's going to be a hero in Israel, there's a connection to Abraham, of course. He has to have that, otherwise he's not part of Israel. And so it makes sense why in the beginning it says he's part of David, he's part of Abraham. That all makes sense, Okay. It gets a little bit more curious, though, when he includes five women. I read about four in the scripture reading. If you were to read down to verse 16, he mentions Mary in the genealogy there. It gets a little unusual. It's not unprecedented for women to be mentioned in a genealogical record, but it was actually, it was highly unusual, though. And so the reason why I want to point this out today is because if it wasn't usual, then it's by design, and it's there for a purpose, and we're supposed to learn something from these women here. And we're going to just briefly mention them, but we're going to focus on one here in just a minute, but I'll briefly mention all five real quickly here, because they all have a theme, and that theme is, is that they all had some sort of shame that they had to deal with in their lives. Uh, the, the first one mentioned is Tamar. Um, if you were to read the story in Genesis chapter 38, you would find that Tamar was uh, someone who was denied a, a marriage that was supposed to be hers in order to have children because her husband passed away. And so by the law, the, the brother was supposed to, to marry her and, and continue the family line. And that was denied by her father-in-law. And she was denied that, that legitimate marriage that she was supposed to have. And, and as, a, as a result, one, what she does, she takes matters into her own hands and she dresses like and, and um, uh, acts like a, a prostitute so that then she actually seduces her father-in-law. And so then there's children in the family line. And so it's, it's uh, one of those stories in the Bible that it's like, okay, that's weird. 
but it's there, right? And you can understand some of the significance of that in that culture and that heritage. But this was what Tamar had to deal with. So you can understand there was some shame associated with, with her. Rahab is the next one, and we're going to talk more about her in just a few minutes. But she was a well-known prostitute who uh, let, or, or when the spies were of Israel were looking at the city of Jericho to overthrow it, uh, she hid them and then uh, let them, helped them escape and so that they were not captured, but she dealt with the shame of her occupation as a prostitute. Moving on, there's Ruth that is listed in the text there in verse uh, 5, I believe it is. She was a Moabite, and if you know the story of Ruth, there's a whole book dedicated to her story in the Old Testament. Uh, if you know that story, though, you know that, that she was a Moabite, and so uh, those were people who were excluded from Israel. The reason why is because the Moabite uh, nation, the Moabite people, rather, they started as a result of Lot uh, having a relationship with one of his daughters, okay? You're thinking, this is the weirdest sermon ever. I understand, okay? All right? But here, these are the stories. So it's like, there's a shame that's associated with that, okay? And so Mo, uh, uh, Ruth, she, by no action of her own, she was dealing with the shame of being part of the Moabites. In fact, it was told, if you read in Deuteronomy, that says that they were not allowed to be part of the congregation for 10 generations because of this, Okay? So you have this great shame that she was dealing with here. And then the last person, Mary, and she had the shame of dealing with this, this out-of-wedlock pregnancy, pregnancy that, that, and the excuse and the reason she gave for that was unbelievable to most people of her time. I mean, if someone says that they're expecting, but they don't, it was a miraculous conception and there's no earthly father. No one would believe that. And so there was obvious shame that she was dealing with leading up to and probably even after Jesus' birth, people were considering Jesus an illegitimate son and that the family was just covering for some terrible sin. You remember Joseph was even going to put her away and not marry her, but the angel appeared to him and says, nope, she's telling the truth. And so you need to marry her. And this tremendous shame that all of these women are dealing with here, okay? So of all the people that Jesus could put into his family tree, these are the ones that he selected and he orchestrated history. We know from Ephesians chapter 1 that all these things were determined before the foundations of the earth, okay? And so you have this, that these are women dealing with some shame. Now, shame can come in a variety of different ways. Um, it's maybe something you've done. And so this was uh, maybe in the case of Tamar or the case of, of, of Rahab, that there was something that they did and that it was, it was shameful of what they did. Or maybe it was something that was done to them. And we could even put Tamar in there of being denied uh, of what was rightfully hers. But, uh, but also we can think of... of um, of uh, a Mary being put in that situation as well, or Bathsheba, uh, something that was done to her that uh, she did not, we don't have any reason to think that, uh, um, that Bathsheba was the person who initiated that relationship with David, and that I, I failed to mention her. That was the reason why she had shame is because of the adulterous relationship with David. 
And so it was done to her. And so we have shame that maybe if someone, that they do something or, or something is done to them. Or maybe it's shame that we experience uh, because of uh, an association that we have. And so we have, um, uh, uh, that would be like Ruth. And so the association of her family. And so it wasn't something that she did, but it was a family member. So, so we have this whole idea of shame of a variety of different ways that it was coming into Jesus' family line, okay? And so we, we need to point this out because, again, this is the people that Jesus is bringing into his family, if we were to go back to the year 1865, our church here would be celebrating its 10-year anniversary. But while we would have been celebrating a 10-year anniversary, our nation would have been mourning the death of its president, Abraham Lincoln, who was assassinated. Now, you all know, history has recorded who assassinated Abraham Lincoln, that was John Wilkes Booth, right? Now, Marsha barely missed 1865, okay? All right, all right. Um, But if she would have been part of this church in 1865, and with her last name, she might have felt the need to disassociate with John Wilkes Booth. I mean, people would have assumed he was related to her, but she would have said no, okay, all right? People would have said, you know, she might have felt that because she has the same last name. I'm saying, you know, that's not a family member. That is not someone who I know. I, I did a, a search um, for, in the white pages. You remember those? Okay, yeah. They, they actually have a website now. It's uh, it's, it's, it's a terrible one. But anyway, and so it's, it's, it's resource heavy and everything. And I was trying to do a search. And so I searched for the last name of Hitler to see if we had Hitlers around here. I, ironically, there's actually someone with the last name of Hitler that lives in Germantown, uh, Wisconsin. Um, but uh, uh, there was also a bunch of other names that were, that were listed that were like, the last name was like Smith. Or something like that. And I thought, why, why are they, why is this search pulling them up? And then I saw on the bottom, it says, also known as whatever Hitler. So apparently, these people were trying, and for good reason, to disassociate from the name of Hitler. You can understand why. It was because the, the shame that accompanies this name, the shame that goes around that name. They said, I don't want anything to deal with that. I don't, I don't want people to, to associate me with this person. Jesus did not do that. Think about that. The people that he says, I want recorded for all of history to see. I want to insert these people in here. What people could have been just, just, it just you know, passed over. He says, I want them named in there. Because he doesn't disassociate with that. So here's the application. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't even matter of who you are associated with. Jesus is not ashamed to include you in his family tree because he already dealt with your shame on the cross. 
You see all the shame that you and I may have because of what we have done, or maybe something horrific has happened to us, or that there was a, uh, an association of a family member or something like that. All those things that we would want people not to know about, or we would be mortified if people knew about. It. And every one of us here has something in our past, has something in our lives that you would be mortified if people knew about. Every one of us does. And if in, 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 in that moment, we need to understand that Jesus, though, he doesn't care about including people like you and people like me into his family because all that shame that surrounds our sin and all that shame that surrounds whatever's happened to us has been nailed to the cross. Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of her faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and he despised the shame, and is now set at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, no matter what it is, we can have a place in God's family. And he says, I want the ones that are, have the shame. I want the ones who are, uh, have the past. And I want the ones who have things have happened to you because I want them part of my family. And so Jesus is never ashamed to include you in his family tree. That should bring a message of hope. And we talked about hope in the Advent reading today. There's so many times we feel like that we're unworthy, and it's true, we're not, we are unworthy. Or sometimes we feel like that my sin is too great for God to save, and that's not true. And I believe one of the reasons why Matthew 1 records someone like Rahab and someone like uh, uh, Tamar and these other people here is so that we can understand that, yes, even though there was terrible sins and there's lifestyle choices that were, that were wrong or something like that, he says, they are my people. And so if you're struggling today with whether or not God can forgive you, let me just tell you to look at the biblical evidence. Don't look at your feelings. Look at the biblical evidence of what, of the type of people God says I want in my family tree. But it doesn't stop there because it's not like God just wants to include people but not change them. You see, it's, it's not only does he know who he wants in the family tree, but he, he also knows how he wants to help those who are in his family tree. In a very general way, we saw in our study of Mark, we saw that when Jesus came in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, as we've talked about many times, it means to change. And so he says, change your ways, follow me, follow Jesus, and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. That's what the word gospel means. In the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. But remember that later on, Jesus is going to be uh, uh, accused of being a drunkard because he spent so much time with the people that had too much drink. And he was going to spend time with the prostitutes. He was going to spend time with the people who were uh, uh, of uh, the most, uh, what people in that time or, or even in our day would, in society would consider the outcast or sinful people. Jesus spent his time with those people because he says, listen, I didn't come... Uh, for, to, to, to heal the healthy. I came to save the sick. 
And, and what he was saying there, he wasn't saying that there was people that didn't need his help. He was saying that there are people who are in those situations. They know the shame. They know the guilt. They know what's going on. And so those are the people that I can work with. But the people who think the, too high of themselves, the people who think that they don't need a Savior, he says, I'm of no value to them. But of the people who see, who are going to turn and change, the people who see their sinfulness, that's the people I've come for. And so these are the people that are in the family tree of Jesus, or he wants in the family tree. But he doesn't want to just bring us in there. He wants to change us and make us more like Jesus Christ, more like himself. And so for a more specific example of that, this is where we go to Rahab. If Go back to Joshua chapter 2, please. Joshua 2. This is back in the Old Testament, uh, right before the book Judges. Um, I'll get you a page number here in just a second here. But Joshua 2, if you're using the Bibles provided for you there, is page 178. And this is the story of Rahab and, and uh, the people of Israel. Let you know kind of what's led up to this. Is remember Moses has brought the people to the promised land. Moses doesn't go in um, because of, of his sin, and God deals with that. And so uh, later on, then uh, Joshua then becomes a successor. He takes the people in, and he is conquering the various cities around there and, and what God has promised to them. And he comes to the city of Jericho, and this was a major city. It was a, it was a very important city for uh, not just economics, but military. It was a very important city, very well fortified. There's a, a great big wall around the city. And so Jericho is going to be the next place that the Israelites need to take in order as they're going through the promised land. So what Joshua does, though, instead of uh, bringing this to the vote of the congregation because he learned from Moses. He sends two spies in there and he says, I want you to go. I want you to, to see the city. Tell me about it. Tell me what the, uh, the circumstances are. And then you come back and bring a report. Chapter two is the story of what happens here. Let me read. Chapter two, verse one of Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly for Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the earth and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now please, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. The story goes on that they make a deal, they make a plan with her where they say that when we come and attack, you tie a red cord in your window so that and get everyone in your room, everyone in your house, and so that when we attack the city, we'll see the red cord and we will not, uh, uh, we will not harm anyone in that, in that home. He says, but if they're outside the home, their blood's on their own head. And sure enough, Rahab uh, gets the people. First, she lets them down, the, the, them outside the city wall, and lets them escape. And then she ties the red cord and saves her family. And she's known as a great woman of faith throughout the rest of history. Even in Hebrews chapter 11, she's mentioned. And James in chapter 2, she's mentioned about her faith and how she proved her faith uh, by letting these people go. And so this is what God this is, I believe, a great story right in the genealogy of Jesus of how we have an illustration of God radically changing someone and radically saving them from their environment, from their own sinfulness. We have, we have this person that she must have had a bad reputation. She could have easily turned over these spies for money. They would have gladly paid money for these spies. And, and, and that must have been an appealing uh, alternate source of income than what she was normally used to. But yet she says, no, I'm not going to profit from this because she believed in the God of Israel. She had heard the stories and she had heard what was happening. She, something inside her, and we know it to be the Spirit of God, had had her believe in God of Israel and God blessed her for it. There was a tremendous change in her. There was a tremendous uh, example of a woman of faith in the midst of an opportunity or circumstance that really could have been very difficult or probably was very difficult for her. She was taking her life in her hands. If they would have found these men, no doubt she would have been killed. No doubt there would have been terrible things happened to her family. But she was willing to do that because she believed in the God of Israel. It's an amazing story to me of how God, he takes someone, he says, this is the people I want in my family tree, and I'm not just going to bring in people, and you can just come in, you can just live as you want, and, and, you, and you can just be the way you want to be. No, no, that's not the point. God says, I'm not bringing you into my family tree so you can just do whatever you want. I, I'm bringing people into my family so that I change them, and so they become more like Christ, and become more like myself, and so that they, they can have a better life, and so they can make better choices, and they can live a life of faith. And Rahab was probably the most uh, uh, unlikely of candidates to believe in, the God of, in Yahweh, in the God of Israel, and yet she did because God had his hand on her. She didn't take advantage of the opportunity to turn these guys in. And the reason why is 
two reasons. One, because God gave her faith. He gave her this beautiful faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How did she do this? It was by faith. She just believed in God. She believed that God was who he said he was and believed that God was going to do uh, uh, what he said he was going to do, and that was give the land to Israel. And she says, I want to be part of that people. I want to be part of the most powerful God there is. I want to be part of this one who takes care of his people and, and fulfills his promises to his people. That needs to be my God. So she believes in him, and she hides the spies. It was by faith. But then God gave her the opportunity to prove her faith, and God proved her faith. And this is what James chapter 2 talks about. In the same way, James says, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, we can get tripped up with that and when we say, well, wait a minute here. I thought we believed in justification by faith alone and not by works. But here James says, was she not justified by works? Well, that last part of the verse is what is the key in this. What James's point is saying, he's saying in that whole chapter, he's saying, you cannot say that you have faith, but you don't have works. You cannot say that you have faith in God, but there's no life change. He says, if, if you say that, you're, you're not telling the truth. Because an evidence of having faith in God is that he's changing you. Now, we're not perfect. We're not, we make plenty of mistakes and we sin still. Christians sin and we have to repent. That's one of the things that we're, we're seeing in our church history course in the Adult Discipleship Hour is that even people who God is using to do great things had tremendous lapses and, uh, was, and needed to repent of sin. So James is not saying that you do enough good works and then you get God's favor. But what he is saying that if you have faith, true faith will always manifest itself in works. And he points back to Rahab because she could have just said, well, I believe in this God, but not done anything to help them. But because she helped them in this tremendous act of faith, she says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to hide you. I'm going to help you escape. I'm not going to take advantage of the situation where I could earn a lot of money by turning you in. She says, by faith, I'm going to do this. And so it was the works that proved that the faith existed. And so this is what Jesus came to. He came with a very specific purpose. as to change people and to bring them into his family tree. So you have to understand, when we go back to this genealogy, this Christmas season, we're talking about Jesus coming to earth. It wasn't something that Jesus came to the earth and said, well, let's just figure this out as we go along. The plan was in place before the world was even created. And while it is good news that Jesus will not be ashamed of you, it's even better news that he has a plan to change you into becoming who you should be. So while we can rejoice in the fact that God will not be ashamed of us, we should be comforted and we should have great hope that we are being conformed and changed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so we can become a better person, someone who we never dreamed we could be, a legitimate member of God's family. And we're not talking about imposters or someone who sneaks into the back entrance of a party, but an invited, a sought-after member of the family. That's what this genealogy teaches us. 
that Jesus is calling people sinners like you and me into his family. You know, there was a, back in 95, Disney came out with a movie called Toy Story. And they keep making them. And I've lost track of how many there are. Um, but I did see the original one. Um, so uh, how many are there? I don't even know. How many? But there's four. My daughter's telling me four. You haven't even seen them. How do you know? Have you seen them? Oh, the fourth one just came out. Okay. Yeah. I'm in touch. <laughs> All right. So, so back in 95, though, is when the first one came out. And uh, you, you, you know the story. Most of you know the story. Two toys there, two main toys. You have Buzz Lightyear and you have Woody, the, the cowboy. And, and um, you know, they meet. And Woody is, of course, his owner's, the little boy's favorite toy uh, uh, until Buzz comes along. And so there's some jealousy there. And um, Buzz is constantly talking about how great things he can do. He's talking about how he can fly and everything. And at one point in the story early on in the movie, Woody shouts at him, says, you're not a space ranger. You're an action figure. You're a child's toy. And so it wasn't until after Buzz tries to show that he can fly, then he falls and he realizes that Woody's telling the truth. And so he's, he's grief-stricken and disillusioned and he hangs his head in resignation, and he says this. It's a great line in the movie. I'm just a stupid little insignificant toy. So later on, Woody tries to comfort his newfound friend, though, and he says this, though, and it's very important what he says. He says, look, you're not thinking clearly. He says, over in that house, there's a kid who thinks you're the greatest, and it's not because you're a space stranger. It's because you're his. You know, there's a God who loves you, not because you're a great human, but because you're his, if you believe in Christ. You see, that's where our worth comes from. That's where our hope comes from. We talked about hope today in, in the Advent reading. Our hope comes not because of the works that I can do or because I'm going to clean myself up or because I'm going to get my affairs in order or I'm going to prove that I'm responsible or I'm prove that I'm worthy. No, no, no. My worth comes in the fact that I am His. And He says, I want you in my family. So it only comes by the grace of God and that's something that we need to, we need to wrestle with. Are you part of God's family? And if you are, then the question comes in, is are you changing? Is he changing you to be more like himself? You remember that ancestry DNA we talked about at the beginning? Look, you, you don't have to spit into a tube to find out about your family tree or who you belong to. If you have faith in God like Rahab, you belong to God. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about Jesus becoming human so he can transform humans and place them in his own family tree. So this Christmas season, let's find hope in that. And let's, allow, let's have a faith like Rahab's that we're constantly being changed to be more like Christ. Let me give you some homework to think about today, this week. Here's some questions you can ask yourself. What are some examples of God changing me? So are there examples in your life where you can see God changing you? Think back a year ago. Think back 10 years ago. Think back last week. Think about the things that God has been working on you. Can you see some changes in your life? 
That's an evidence of faith, okay? And none of us have perfect faith, and, and we all have peaks and valleys. And, and the growth chart, I'll do it backwards, the growth chart doesn't just go straight up, right? Okay? You know, it's, it's, it's not like we just, just plow through this life in constant growth. No, it's a, it, there, there's a zigzag there at times where we have low points and everything, but God brings us back. But there should be an overall growth a trajectory in our lives if we have faith in God. So what are some examples of God changing me? Number two, how do I know that I belong to God? See, there's a lot of people that would claim, say, well, yeah, of course I'm God. So of course, you know, all people are God's. Nope, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. We are adopted into God's family, okay? So the question is, how do you know that you belong to God? What are you trusting in? What, are, what, what, what gives you hope that you belong to God? Think about that. Then the last one, we talked about shame earlier in the sermon. With what type of shame am I most prone to struggle? Things that you've done, things that have happened to you, or things maybe people you're associated with? What, are the, that, what type of shame are you most prone to struggle with? And how is Jesus the answer to that struggle? So there's some things, ways that you can kind of mold this sermon over, mold this text over, and the truth that we talked about over the next week uh, until we meet again and we talk about the next person in our Women of Christmas series. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Rahab. Thank you that she um, was changed by you. And I pray that we would find great hope in that, um, that we would be changed and be brought more to look more like Christ. And Father, thank you that you're not ashamed to bring us into your family tree. And I pray that we would never be ashamed of you. That was a whole point of the sermon that I didn't want to go down, but I'll, I'll add it here for the benefit of the people listening to me praying here, that we should never be ashamed of the one who's not ashamed of us. So, Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Christmas season of you becoming human so that you can bring humans and change them and bring them into your family. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.